Welcome to Decoding the Customer, a podcast about customer experience and how to realize customer-centric change in today's dynamic business world. I'm Julia Allfelt, Certified Customer Experience Professional, Business Advisor, and your host as we explore topics, trends, and best practices that are enabling brands to thrive in the age of the customer. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a regular listener, thanks, and it's great to have you back. This is episode 47, the first of five weekly episodes for the month of August. This month, I'm going to be sticking with the topic of change and what drives this. It was change in technology that empowered consumers and catapulted us into the age of the customer. Now that most organizations have accepted and hopefully embraced the fact that they need to become agile around the needs of customers, it's time for the rubber to meet the road. But change is a journey. Throughout the month of August, I'm going to be exploring ideas and best practices that will shed light on how organizations are taking the steps that add up to real change. Returning listeners will know that the first episode of the month is always an interview episode, something to inspire and spark thinking before we dive deep into the practical how-tos during the mini masterclasses later in the month. Today, I'm starting with an interview with Matt Prowse, the Director of Customer Experience at IAG, Australia's largest insurer. Matt has taken an interesting approach to fostering customer-centric culture in his organization. While voice-of-customer programs often emphasize where the customer journey needs improvement, Matt has chosen to harness the power of positivity by balancing the good news and opportunities for improvement. He's also implemented some really innovative ways to bring teams from across the organization closer to the customer. During our conversation, Matt and I discussed the power of positivity, how his team has leveraged a program called Customer Connections to break down silos and foster empathy, and what it took to garner leadership support. If you're seeking inspiration about how team positivity, customer insights, and good news stories can be harnessed to create real change, then stay tuned. And if this episode gets you wanting to learn more about customer experience management, I'd encourage you to check out CX University. CX University has long been a supporter of the customer experience profession, and I'm proud to have them as sponsors of this episode. CX University offers a fantastic array of online courses, CCXP practice tests, webinars, instructor-led training, e-learning, and custom modules. CX University is a CXPA authorized resource and training provider, meaning that their materials have been reviewed and vetted by the CXPA for alignment with the six core competencies that are in the exam. And CX University also provides the option to earn six U.S. college credits through their courses. They have a flexible and affordable monthly subscription model and have offered an exclusive discount to listeners of this show. Listeners of the podcast can use the code PODCAST10 to get 10% off your first month subscription. So thank you to CX University for your support. And with that, let's dive into today's show. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Organizations that have come about during the age of the customer have a real leg up on large legacy businesses when it comes to embracing customer-centric practices. These new organizations have been able to build customer experience management into their DNA from the start. Businesses whose story started decades before the time of empowered consumers have to change with the times or face potential disruption. This means a major shift in the ways of doing business and there are no quick fixes. But there are many talented customer experience professionals out there fighting the good fight and winning. One such customer experience advocate is Matt Prowse. At 
IAG, Matt is known as the happiest man in insurance. Really, that's what he's called. And you're about to find out why. But do not be mistaken. Matt is all about substance, not fluff. And he's a seasoned customer experience professional. Before this role, he worked at Foxtel, one of Australia's major media brands. He has a degree in marketing. And like many CX professionals, he has a diverse and cross-functional professional background. Throughout his career, he's been a champion for the customer. And more recently, he's become an advocate for how positivity can be a means for fostering customer-centric change. I met Matt at a conference last year where we were both speaking. Listening to him recount his work, I was struck by both his innovative approaches as well as his energy and dedication to the field of customer experience. A summary of the insights from my conversation with Matt, as well as more details on how to get in touch with him should you be looking for an awesome and inspiring speaker, will be available in the show notes for this episode, which are on my website, julia-allfelt.com or decodingthecustomer.com. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on Decoding the Customer today. Thank you very much for having me, Julia. It's great to hear your voice again. So you've done a lot of work on positivity in the workplace. Why do you think positivity is something that's so important for the business world? Well, positivity is something that's very close to my heart. At IAG, I'm known as the happiest man in insurance. It's an official job title on our internet. It's as official as we can get as an insurance company. And look, it's not by chance or luck. I think positivity, like any muscle in the human body, requires some discipline and daily focus to really and generally become strong. To answer your question around why is positivity important for business? Well, any business at its heart is human. It's driven by humans, it's serviced and powered by humans, and we know that positively engaged humans consistently outperform the norm. We know that teams that are fueled by positivity, they've got increased first core resolution, they've got lower staff turnover, they've got reduced absenteeism, they've got improved work accuracy, and as much as three times more creativity and innovation within those teams. So, we know that this essence around positivity can drive better teaming outcomes as well as better customer outcomes. That's great. Can you share an example of how positivity has made an impact at your organization? That would have been a couple of years ago, I attended a customer experience conference. And this particular customer experience conference, I was lucky enough to hear Disney speak. And they had one of their leaders talk around the importance of their leadership building into their routines around walking the floor, they call it. So, within their theme parts, making sure that part of their leadership routines one day a week is dedicated to walking the floor, seeing where their teams and their employees are interacting with their customers and purposefully going out there, looking for those opportunities around where their team members were delivering upon their purpose around delivering happiness to their customers. So often across organizations, and I know when I came back to Australia and started to have a look at my own routines and cadences, it was you know pretty quick to discover that a lot of those visits are sort of geared towards the negative part of the customer experience. So, where are those improvement opportunities? Where did we potentially miss one of those upsell or cross-sell opportunities? So, a lot of the focus when I was going in actually had a negative skew or a negative lens that I was applying to some of these visits. And that's so easy too, because when we think about customer experience, the objective is to improve customer experience. And so therefore, the natural tendency is to look at things through a lens of how do I improve this experience? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And if you just take a look at any average voice of customer program, the programs inherently are geared towards the negative parts of the experience, as I said, around those improvement opportunities. So we had processes and systems around our detractor callback process. We had whole teams focused on service recovery so that when the experience went bad, teams could come and interrupt the experience to be able to try and save and retain those customers and turn the experience around. We had alerts and we had training programs built around all of the focus around our detractor customers. But we didn't have any program whatsoever strategically built as part of an ongoing cadence that was looking and celebrating the experiences that were generated that were positive. And when we looked at our numbers, when I came back to Australia and looked at my own voice of customer program, six out of 10 customers were giving us a 10 out of 10. So the majority of our customers, after having an interaction with us right across the customer journey, were in fact having a positive experience. But all of our focus and stories and attention was all geared towards our detractors, which only represented a much smaller percentage of the actual experience layer that we were giving. So one of the things that we started to have a look at was to build a prototype around how can we start to shine a brighter light on these bright spots across our organization where we were delivering these great customer experiences. And the program that we prototyped was a program called IAG Thank You Campaign or IAG With Thanks. We started with the prototype. I came back after hearing Disney and some amazing, amazing speakers. We were positively influenced ourselves. So when I came back with one of my peers on the flight back to Australia from Orlando, we penned what we were going to do in terms of this little prototype to be able to start to shine some of the lights on these positive experiences. So we had a group of 15 colleagues across our business that we didn't give much of a brief to, but we said, look, come, we need you for two hours and we're going to be prototyping a little customer connection session called IAG with thanks. To prep for the session, we had pulled out a list of advocate customers that that morning had a positive experience with us. We recruited a group of colleagues that didn't interact with customers in their day-to-day roles and gave them a little bit of a brief, walked them in and said, look, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be calling customers and we're going to be thanking them for providing us with some feedback. Also thanking them for being a valued customer of ours. And we wanted to also say on the call to the customer, while we have you on the phone, we notice in your verbatim that you have referenced our consultant, Dustin, who gave you that great experience this morning. While we have you on the phone, is there any other information you'd like me to pass on to Dustin? Because I'm writing a handwritten thank you note to Dustin, our consultant, on your behalf. So just wanted to see whether there's any additional information that you'd like to pass on to Dustin. And it's at that point that the vast majority of our customers move from, is this person trying to sell or upsell me something to, wow, an insurance company, a big faceless large behemoth of an insurance company is actually doing something a little bit human. And we've had some amazing feedback from our customers. But for me, the most important thing is all of those frontline consultants around our business who receive a handwritten thank you note from another colleague from head office saying thank you for delivering a great outcome to our customers. That's fantastic. Because those frontline employees, I mean, they're at the coalface. There was one contact center manager I was speaking to years ago who was saying that he sometimes felt like his team was the mop-up crew. 
that they have little control over the experiences that have happened and people call them when they're upset and they're limited in what they can do. So it's really the upstream impacts on the experience that they're dealing with. So that's fantastic that you guys were able to make that connection between the resolution and the teams that are probably designing the experiences. Absolutely. For such a simple little thing that had 15 participants, two hours, and it was just a test just to be able to see whether this initiative would work. So it was a very, very, very small investment from an IAG perspective. But the outcomes were so powerful from that one simple prototype. So those customers that we called and thanked, they felt listened to and valued. You know, how often have you yourself completed a survey and it's gone up into the cloud and you've never heard anything on the back of that feedback that you provided to an organization? So it's just a great way to close the loop, not only with detractors, but also closing the loop with your passives as well. As I mentioned, the frontline colleagues feel recognized for the great work that they're doing each and every day. But also importantly, those back office staff, those 15 people that we dragged, some of them kicking and screaming when they found out they were going to be talking to actual customers, they felt so connected to our purpose as an organization and connected to that end customer experience as well. For me, that's really where the holy trinity of what the program really starts to deliver around all those really core critical stakeholders. It was a prototype that has now been launched as much more of a regular cadence across our organization. We run monthly sessions where we allow teams and groups to be able to come in and participate in doing one of these with thanks sessions. We have even inbuilt the program where we've replicated that detractor callback program that I've referenced before. So we've actually automated it for a promoter callback to some of our senior leaders across our business as well. So yeah, it's definitely grown some legs after that first little prototype. Not only does that foster positivity within the organization, those customers, they might have been promoters, but after getting a call like that, they would probably be super promoters. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you would definitely turn around and mention at a dinner party or share with a friend. I think that's also very powerful from a customer relationship management perspective. Absolutely. So we all know that the research around the power of referrals, the power of advocates being able to spread the positive word on behalf of your brand and your organization and how impactful that is. I know I've come across some research where Vision Critical, one of our research partners, have stated that it can take up to 10 positive referrals or recommendations to counteract one negative referral or recommendation around your brand. So this whole notion around negative news or negative referrals being so much more powerful than the positive referrals just goes to show what the business benefit around focusing on initiatives like this can actually do for you as an organization. At the conference last year, you spoke about all of the negativity that's out there in the world right now and how we're just really bombarded from the news, from everywhere about negativity. And it can be easy to have that become this downward spiral. Yes. So before working for IAG, I spent seven years working at 
Foxtel. Foxtel is Australia's cable television provider that services the whole of Australia. Obviously, we've got Netflix and the streaming services, but Foxtel has been the launch provider. And a big part of that is Sky News, which is Australia's large news service. So every morning coming into my Foxtel office, I would walk past the live broadcast desk of Sky News. They would have it right there built in the foyer, big glass windows where you'd have the presenters going through and sort of doing their 30-minute news updates. So every single morning coming to work, the first thing that I was greeted to was the news updates and the rolling bar down the bottom with news, gloom, terrorism, death, all these onslaught of bite-sized bits of information that I was getting hit with each and every morning. And it was really starting to take a toll personally. You know, I'm lucky and I consider myself positive by nature, but I found that this onslaught was really starting to have a bit of an effect on me. And that really prompted a whole lot of my interest in this as a subject. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm an expert. I'm a, I'm a customer experience person by trade. That's what I love. That's what I do. But driving and establishing some of these linkages around positivity, focusing on promoters and employee experience. I think there's something in this that has really taken a hold of me and my interests. That's very cool. And I think it's great that you've brought it to work. I mean, it sounds like there's this great alignment between fostering positivity and proving customer experience. So you've spoken about needing to flex your positivity muscle. What does that mean? Yes. So I'm a very firm believer in positivity like any muscle needs to be practiced. It needs to be part of a cadence and part of a discipline for it to become second nature. And I think when you start to unpack some of the elements around how our brains work today, so our brains are acutely primed to scan for potential threats. That's part of our primal fight or flight reflex, stuff that is very difficult. It's that ingrained in our psyches that it's very hard to be able to change because it's just that ingrained. In fact, two-thirds of the neurons in elements of the brain are all geared towards searching and scanning for bad news. And these bad messages, for example, walking in a fox cell each and every morning, these potential threats to me as an individual, to me as a human, are immediately stored in terms of my long-term memory because that is how our brains are geared. Whereas good news, by comparison, it can take up to 12 whole seconds for that news to be able to travel from our temporary to our long-term memory. So bad news, these messages are potentially up to 12 times more effective in terms of going into our long-term memory than positive news. So when we talk about flexing that positivity muscle, it's about being really deliberate with restoring balance to those stories that we're telling ourselves and I think that's the most important one. What are the stories that we're storing and telling ourselves? How are we restoring that balance? How are we doing that with our team? So as leaders, how are we restoring the balance around the negative versus positive news for our teams? And then organizationally, for example, the voice of customer programs, how are we making sure that we're restoring those balance to those stories that are shared and generated across our respective organizations? So if you were a team leader or manager and you wanted to restore that balance or figure out a way to help unlock the positivity potential of your team, how might you go about this? Julia, that's a great question. Leadership is absolutely paramount to 
unlocking the positivity potential in teams. As I mentioned before around the whole Disney example, so what is the lens that you as a leader taking in to these conversations when you're observing your customer-facing teams or other parts of your business? Are you looking for the opportunities? Are you looking for the elements that could be improved? Or are you looking for the elements where you are delivering on that purpose or delivering on your brand promise to your customers? And the simple notion of flipping the lens and being deliberate before you go and have a conversation or walk the floor or go and interact with one of your frontline facing parts of the business, flipping the lens as you go into that conversation can be, and it's been demonstrated to be so powerful in changing what you are looking for and what you retain and what the conversation happens afterwards. The other elements around always going in there and really changing the motivations around that visit, the feedback you give must be balanced with good and bad. So we've got some other research to be able to show and demonstrate that top performing teams give each other more than five positive comments for every criticism that they do as a team. Because we know that from a negative perspective, because it's a primal fight or flight reflex, teams and team members and individuals, they're going to be taking on the threat elements or the negative comments. They're going to be retained stronger and go straight through that long-term memory than what the positives are. So we need to be able to balance that even in the critiquing and the feedback that we're giving to our teams and to our individuals and to our frontline teams as well. And I would imagine that would be perhaps a particularly challenging thing in the financial services sector and insurance because you've got leaders who are maybe actuaries or accountants and those types of professionals, their skill set is highly analytical and it's all about picking things apart and looking for potential problems and fixing them and analyzing. Do you find that to be a particular challenge in the financial services sector? I think that would be a challenge across a lot of sectors. But yes, in particular, there are obviously teams that are driven through an extreme analytical lens. I've been lucky from an IAG perspective to run our customer connections program. This is a program that has been very much geared towards helping to build empathy, particularly for teams that are A, analytical, B, do not see a high correlation between their role and how that impacts the end customer experience or who have not come from an operations background who have been born and blooded in terms of that type of customer interaction. So, you know, actuarial departments could be a great example of that. Customer connections, and I know lots of organizations have similar type of programs, but I've personally found this to be a great way to be able to address that as a potential issue. So customer connections is literally taking those teams out to one of the frontline areas of your business. So for us, we've got contact centers that are strewn throughout all of our major cities here in Australia. So we've got some in Sydney and Melbourne and in Parramatta and into Brisbane. So we have contact centers that are separate to our head office. So our head office is here in Sydney and we have a head office in Melbourne and there aren't a great deal of customer interactions being generated within those two head offices. So they're literally ivory towers. So customer connections is an ongoing program where we can take our team of actuarials or our risk team or our legal team, our finance team. A couple of weeks ago, I hosted our core finance team and leadership team out at one of our contact centers. We introduced them to our customer frameworks like our customer journey and we introduced 
them to some of the insights that we're seeing. It could be that price or value could be a really big theme that we're identifying through our voice of customer program. So we introduce the team members to that as a theme and then have our finance team sit down with sales and service staff and claim staff and actually meet and talk to our frontline consultants, call Jack in and hear some live customer interactions in the flesh, maybe take some team members out to one of our branches so they can interact with customers in the flesh themselves. And then we come back and have a really rich conversation around unpacking what did those team members see, what did they do, importantly, what did they feel as they were going through and seeing these live customer interactions, and then what are some of the commitments as a team, for example, our finance team can then now start to take back into the ivory tower tomorrow when they go back into the office and what can they do with this learning in terms of shaping their decision making. So, it's very much driven around helping to connect back office roles to how their role contributes to the delivery of that end customer experience because every team member Every division, every part of the organization has some type of flow and effect to that end customer experience. That's all around trying to help create those connections. What are some of the reactions that you get from these non-customer facing teams when they have these experiences? We've attempted a couple of different types of programs. So, I think one of the big learnings for me was in one of our early iterations for our senior leadership team, we made it a mandatory part of their quarterly performance. So, we mandated in. So, you wouldn't be able to get your quarterly STI performance without ticking off a customer connection session. And we tracked it and we monitored it. And what I would find is that towards the end of the quarter, I would have an influx of senior leaders all saying that I need to do this. Can you facilitate this session? And in terms of the outcomes, it was feeling a lot like a ticker box solution. Where I found the best impact has been where it's been somewhat generated demand from the team itself. And I'll give you an example. So, our pricing team reached out to us to be able to say, look, we're just formed a relatively new team. We've read your voice of customer, customer insights report. We noticed that there are some elements in this that our customers are saying that we'd like to get a little bit more understanding about. Matt, can you help? So, instead of going through and walking through the PowerPoint deck in a little bit more detail, we built for that particular team a series of experiential events where we reintroduced those themes that our customers were telling us and then sat down for a couple of hours with our sales and service staff and our branch staff who were having those conversations each and every day. So, then we had a bit of a conversation with those teams to start off with so we can forge those connections and then then we had the pricing team sit with those consultants and actually see how those conversations played out in real life so that it moved the insight from being a dot point and a bullet point in a PowerPoint presentation to experiential learning. And on the back of that, the richness in terms of the workshop and conversations that we had at the back end of that day effectively helped steer the pricing strategy, helped steer the building of an ongoing cadence where that pricing team each quarter reconnects to those frontline consultants and to how those experiences are happening in the flesh each quarter. So, I think it's a great example of what we call empathy and discipline. So, you can go off and do these things as a one-off. You can hold a one-off 
session for your whole leadership team and they do it once a year and they tick the box. But unless it is part of an ongoing discipline, unless you're flexing that muscle, as I keep saying, unless it's part of your leadership disciplines, you're not going to be able to drive or instill change that is required to improve those customer and employee outcomes. That's incredible to foster this pull from the team. So they want to be a part of this because you're right. I mean, if you make it something that's mandatory, you run the risk of it becoming a tick the box exercise and you definitely don't want that. None of this would be possible I'm assuming, without very senior level support. Am I correct in assuming that? Yes, <laughs> very much so. And how did that come about? So I have been quite lucky to be able to have a very engaged group leadership team that has been very supportive of allowing my team and I to effectively prototype things on them. So I want to be able to precursor that because I spend a lot of time talking to fellow customer experience professionals who do not necessarily have the same level of understanding from their own group leadership team. So from that respect, I have been lucky, but there have been some approaches where we've got right and there's been some approaches that we've got wrong that I think can help to be able to build that trust. And I think when it all boils down to it, it's around getting some wins on the board to establish that trust so that your group leadership team and even your board can allow you and give you space to be able to go and prototype some of these things with them and on them. So wins on the board, are you talking in terms of business case wins or what do you mean by that? One example could be going back to my little with thanks prototype that we ran with those 15 colleagues who left that room saying that it was one of the most powerful things that they've done in their time at IAG. That was verbatim quote from one of the participants. So from a timing-wise perspective, and we we're quite deliberate with who we got in to come into that prototype session. One of the participants happened to work in our internal communications team because we knew that this session was going to generate some stories. Having someone that could craft some fantastic internal comm stories, we wanted to make sure that they participated. So by crafting those internal comm stories, news started to spread quite quickly within the internal communications group or sort of division. And it just so happened that at that time, the head of our internal communications team was building a session for the entire senior leadership team. So all 130-odd senior leaders from Australia, New Zealand, and all of our businesses across the globe were coming in to Sydney for a two-day senior leader offsite. And because our planted internal comm seed or our, I suppose you can call a customer champion, she mentioned this particular initiative that she was involved in and said, this would be fantastic if we could scale and have every one of our senior leaders do this similar exercise. So we created a champion, we created our own internal advocate of this particular prototype, who then made a positive recommendation to their team, who got me a foot in the door to be able to effectively pitch my case. So I ran a one-on-one -on -one session to be able to say, look, this is what I proposed we could do for all of our senior leaders. I ran it with the head of our internal comms team. He absolutely loved it. He said it was absolutely fantastic and gave me the opening two hours of that senior leader summit to run that with thanks session that I prototyped a couple of weeks before for the entire senior leadership team. A couple of key learnings was, yes, be able to create your champions and be deliberate with who you want to 
build these prototypes with. And if you can create that network of champions and give them something to advocate for, that's a great way to be able to start to get some of these initiatives more further embedded and across the organization. So that was my personal learning. It takes time and it takes energy and it takes effort. It does. I mean, what you've just spoken about, it's almost like a grassroots level change. You start with a couple of champions and then they become advocates for the program and then it begins to snowball. But that's something that takes time. And while it takes time, that can be frustrating for people. But in the end, what you end up with, hopefully, is a program where there's a pull from the business to participate in a program that remains authentic rather than something that feels contrived or forced or like a tick box, which is the real risk I see with some of these employee engagement programs. They can start from the right kind of thinking, but they just don't take. The business just doesn't take to them as we'd like them to. Yeah, I've seen so many top-down launched initiatives, the mandatory type initiatives. So here's our customer promises or here's our brand promise. Top-down, everyone needs to live and breathe this brand promise and the posters are on the wall and you drive a common language and understanding through that approach, absolutely. But unless you have it embedded across all of those various teams and silos, these things just can so quickly become wallpaper. It's a lot harder to build that network of champions and get them to be the advocates of change for the customer initiative or the people initiative, whatever you're working on at that moment, that's how you drive the real embedded change across the organization. And it's really hard. Like it took us months and months to be able to go and start to scale after the senior leader summit, to be able to go and start to build that as a much more robust cadence across that leadership team. That has been an ongoing initiative for me to be able to help try and further embed that. And to be able to say everyone's doing it still, absolutely not. You know, not every leader is doing it as part of an ongoing cadence, but we can only focus on where there is a inherent demand for what we're providing. So that's where we focus our energies as well. And it sounds like your approach has also been agile and you've had the trust of the leadership team to do that too. So yes, there are benefits to planning things at a broad view perspective from a point of reference of the purpose and the vision and the values, but you then need to remain agile to stimulate that at a grassroots level and find the balance between planning something to engage employees and leaving it agile enough to take the learnings as you go and continue doing what works and abandon what maybe doesn't work. And I could see how that could also be frustrating for leaders to accept that because people want to plan things. They want a six-month rollout plan for how this is going to work, but you can't always do that with something that is grassroots. Yep. And I think the additional element on that is just the power of storytelling. So, it's to be able to drive and embed that change. It's around having these programs that are going to be able to generate not only that positive advocacy, but generating those positive stories that are shareable. That's how you build the content and build the advocacy. It all comes back to that inherent, what is the essence of that story that is going to be shareable? For that first With Thanks session, it was that particular communications colleague talked to one of our customers that have been with us for 35 years and they were on the phone. There's one call for 35 minutes talking around just how many times NRM Insurance had helped this particular customer throughout their lives. And uh, it was such an amazing story that this comms 
communications colleague couldn't help but share that story. And if we didn't have that inherent story, that wouldn't have been shared across the internal comms team, which I doubt I would have been given the opening two hours of the senior leader summit without that story. So for me, the real essence is around being very purposeful with what stories you're going to be able to generate because that's going to drive the internal elements across the organization. And it takes it all back to the customer. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has been a great conversation, loads of learnings for listeners around how to engage employees. Thank you for sharing your insights. Julia, thank you so much as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to my interview with Matt Prowse. There's so many lessons that we can learn from Matt's efforts to help teams across the business establish empathy for the customer and understand their individual role in the broader picture. It's commendable that Matt has chosen to do this through a lens of positivity. When we think about voice of customer programs, there's so much emphasis on what to improve. We can easily forget that many of our customers are actually happy. I hope that this episode has inspired you to think about ways that you can integrate messages of positivity into your customer experience management approach. And if Matt's story catalyzes you to do something differently in your organization, let me know. I love to see these concepts in action. The more success stories we share, the more we can grow as a professional community. If you're enjoying the podcast, I invite you to share the program with others or head on over to iTunes to rate the program. This helps others find the show. I'll be back every Thursday this month with new CX Mini Masterclass episodes. These episodes are designed to be punchy, bite-sized overviews of key customer experience concepts and practical approaches that you can use. For the month of August, I'm sticking with the topic of change. And next week, I've got a CX expert taking us through one of the most popular change management models out there. I don't want to spoil it, But next week's episode may shed some additional light on why Matt has been so effective at rallying his colleagues around the customer. So be sure to listen in or subscribe for updates when new shows go live. This episode was sponsored by CX University. This episode was sponsored by CX University, a CX training company offering a broad array of CX learning options, including the convenience of learning anywhere and anytime with their online program, e-learning modules, and CCXP practice exams. CX University is an accredited resource and training provider, and they offer a flexible and affordable monthly subscription model. At the time of publishing this episode, course subscriptions start at just $75 per month and include access to CCXP practice exam questions. Listeners of the podcast can get 10% off their first month subscription by entering the discount code PODCAST10 at checkout. If you're looking for help realizing customer-centered change in your organization, don't hesitate to get in touch. My contact details are on my website, or you can reach me on LinkedIn and Twitter. My handle's at Julia Allfelt.